Happy Father's Day, everybody. Thank you, Danny and Stacy, for that welcome today. And the adorable Abigail. You stole the show, and I knew you would. That's fantastic. Everybody, my name is John. We welcome you to Grace. We're a church for people who don't go to church. What does that mean? We're a place for people to explore faith in Jesus Christ. And we are a place for people who are followers of Jesus to live out his great mission here on earth. So whether you've grown up in church or this is your very first day, we welcome you to Grace. We're talking about difference makers. God wants us to be difference makers. That's what he tells us. And you know what research shows us? Research shows us we need to be difference makers. Dr. John Duffy, who is a leading expert, best-selling author on the subject of anxiety, particularly in teenagers, say that if we don't feel like our life is making a difference, that it's not significant, we will be anxious. We will be depressed. So God tells us, research tells us, we need to be difference makers. What we're going to talk about today is how, how do we be difference makers? And what separates a difference maker from a noise maker? Because sometimes we just make a bunch of noise, but we want to be difference makers. So many people said to me recently, John, I just want to be a difference maker. And I thought that myself too, because the times we're living in, this something rises up in us. I think that's God rises up and God is stirring us. He's stoking those fires. He said, come on. I, I got to say this right now. You know what? Our teens and our twenties, I just want to be around you guys. Because even though we're going through really dark times, very, very sad times, there's a sense of hope. I'm hearing it from all kinds of people. I'm sensing it myself. There's a sense of, we might have reached that tipping point. You know, everybody, as you look at history, we reach these different moments where whoosh, we just go forward, we leapfrog forward, just wham. This could be one of those moments. That tipping point in our teens and our 20s, so much I want to say something more to the teens 20. Just a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to do that. Let's get into the Psalms here. And then I want to come back and speak to the teens in the 20s, something that's really, really important. Psalms, biggest book in the Bible. They are prayers set to song. But Psalm 1 is not a prayer. It's a meditation. It's a wisdom song telling us what? how to navigate life well, how to be difference makers, how to live lives of substance. This is where it begins. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You saw that regression, so to speak, there. You go from walking to standing to sitting, right? Blessed is the man. That word means happy. That's how some translations put it. But the Hebrew word basically means deeply satisfied. The person who's deeply satisfied, here is how they live their lives. And then it tells us three important things. Where are you getting your advice? Who is influencing you? And what perspectives are you seeing? Really, really important. Verse number two, the key to the entire psalm. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 is telling us about two different paths. You can choose the path to be a difference maker. You can choose the path to be a noise maker. And there's one ingredient that separates the two, and that is the meditation on God's word. The meditation on the law. You're like, oh, but John, I don't know. Bible's confusing. I, you know, there's so many things. Look, there's things in the Bible I don't understand and they confuse me. But it says you meditate on God's word day and night. That means it's hard work. 
You think God wouldn't be much of a God if we could just like presto bang, just understand God right away, right? So we put the hard work. It's day and night. Day and night, we're thinking. We're, the word meditation means to mutter. You're talking like, you know, have you ever really deeply thought about something? You almost talk to yourself or you do talk to yourself. You mutter. That's the word meditation, to mutter. You turn it over and over and over again in your mind. You study. You seek out other people who've studied. You seek out other perspectives. Day and night, you're just grinding away. You're chewing on it over and over. Meditation, a lot of times in our culture, means to empty your mind. But in a Jewish perspective, which this is the, this is what it's written in, means to fill your mind, to meditate, to fill it on God's word, to think about individual passages and how they are in the context of the whole. What is the entirety of scripture saying to over and over? Now, now I want to come back to teens and 20s. I am so excited. I just want to be around you guys because I'm hoping and praying and thinking that maybe this is the tipping point, that you have the passion to leapfrog our world to a better place, to a more just place, to an equal, to a place that reflects the glory of almighty God. I think that maybe this could be it. I just want to humbly say this, just, just, just a suggestion. Take a look at history and look back through history and say, who are the true difference makers and who are the noise makers? And what about the difference makers? What did they do? Do they have some things in common? And consider that and make sure that you're choosing the path of the difference makers and not the noise makers. So people like Dr. King, true difference maker. Frederick Douglass, true difference maker. William Wilberforce, true difference maker. And Jesus Christ and his followers. Even people who do not, they're not Christians. They're historians. They're not Christians. They will even look at Jesus. It is undeniable. Jesus is the greatest, the biggest, the most massive difference maker our world has ever seen. He has influenced more people. He's brought equality. He's brought justice. He made famous love. Jesus Christ is the greatest difference. And I'm not speaking just like a homer here, right? Just like, hey, this, he's my home team. So I'm going to, no, 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 no. I just, why I read atheist secular, secular atheist historians. And they will say the same thing because Jesus Christ has influenced so much and he's influenced so much good. But let's go back. Take a look, historically speaking, at difference makers. And what you'll find is what they have in common is they were major league meditators on God's word. And you have to at least pause and say, hmm, why would that be? What was it about the meditation of God's word that got down and deep into their souls and the study of God's word, into their very beings, and then they applied it. What was it about it that made them different? You think about Dr. King, one of the most famous speeches in American history. I have a dream. It was filled with scripture. Dr. King gave four major scriptural references there because he was deeply rooted in the scriptures. Amos chapter 5, let justice roll down like mighty waters. Isaiah 40, let the mountains be leveled. Mountains are power. The people in positions of power, let them come down. And those who are oppressed in the valley, let the valley come up. What does that create? Mountains. Mountains don't want to come down. Let the mountains come down. The valleys come up. Now there's an equal playing field. Now there's justice. Now there's the true reflection of God because this is what God wants. This is what God wants, an equal playing field. Psalm 30, weeping comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what Dr. King said because he meditated on the scriptures and finally Galatians. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, male, female, slave, free. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Dr. King was a major league, Dr. King was a pastor, major league meditator on the Bible. Frederick Douglass, one of his favorite books was the book of Isaiah, straight out of the Bible. Isaiah chapter one, think about this. Isaiah chapter one, some people have said to me, John, let's talk about the Bible. Let's not get into justice all the time. Do you know that Isaiah talks about justice second most in all the Bible? It is filled with justice. It is a justice document. Isaiah says, speaking on behalf of God, God declares, if you turned a blind eye to the oppressed or you don't listen to their cries for help, if you don't do that, don't bother praying. Don't bother praying. Don't bother going to church. God says, I'm not listening. You must seek justice. You must lift up the oppressed. It is a justice document. And Frederick Douglass, brilliant man, phenomenal order. He even said this, everybody. Think about this. As he studied God's word, he said, I don't want to just set slaves free. I want to set slave owners free. Now, that's very biblical. Because whether I'm enslaved or I'm enslaving other people, I am not where I need to be in Jesus Christ. Because Christ comes to set us all free. Douglas knew that. Why? Because he meditated on God's word. You would have thought he would say a bunch of other stuff about the slave owners, which he did. But his main thing is, I want to see them set free. Why? Because of the word of God. Because of the word of God. Finally, William Wilberforce, the fantastic abolitionist. Major League meditator on God's word. God's word totally turned his life around. And do you know what Wilberforce says? He says this about God's word. He says, what a difference it would be if our system of morality were based on the Bible. Now, let's go to verse number three of the psalm. This person who chooses the difference-making way is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. What is the stream of water? It is God's word. Not all trees are planted by the river. So what do you have to do? You have to transplant the tree. Have you ever transplanted a tree? You ever dug up a tree out in your yard or dug up a tree somewhere or wherever, right? I have. It's hard work. It's hard work to transplant that tree and to sink those roots deep down and to water, water, water those roots so that it will grow. It is hard work. We need to transplant ourselves and put ourselves right by the river, the river of life, the word of God, so that we'll be stable. It says we'll bear fruit. Now, trees don't eat their own fruit. So who's the fruit for? The fruit is for other people. When I sink down deep into God's word, I realize I have to have an other focused. Not just about my perspective. Not just about my perspective. There's the hard part. It's about other people's perspective. The leaf. It says the leaf isn't going to wither. That means in good times and bad times, in rainy seasons and dry seasons, that there'll be a stability. When you have sunk your roots down into God's word, when you've meditated and muttered on the word of God, when you've thought about it and you've studied it, it brings a stability. Noisemakers are instable. We're going to see in a second. They're like chaff. They're no substance. They blow away. Difference makers, because their roots are deep in God's word, there's stability there. There's a consistency there. All right, let's finish the psalm out. Psalm 1. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. Yeah, ah, there's the chaff. No substance. Blow away quickly. Like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are two ways. That's what this is saying. The difference maker way, the noise maker way. God wants you and you want you to choose the difference maker way because that leads 
that leads to joy and sadness, deep, deep, deep sadness. We can't help it. We can't help it. We might as well not fight it. We want to be difference makers, but there's a path to being a difference maker. There's a way to being a difference maker. And it is very, very challenging. Now, the book of the Bible that talks most about justice, I said a minute ago, I was gonna tell you what it is, it's the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms are prayers. So we're to pray about justice. Hundreds of times, we're to pray about justice. We're to sing about justice. Our prayers should be filled, they should be justice prayers. Our songs should be justice, justice songs. This should consume our lives. The book, Psalms is really important. It's the prayer book of the Bible. It's a prayer book of the Bible. We need to be focused on justice. There's two kinds of, um, two kinds of justice. Both are very, very important. Both are in the word of God. Hebrew word. Mishpat, which is systemic, institutional, organizational justice. And Zedekah, which is interpersonal. Interpersonal. I'm a good person. I treat people right. And many of us do that. But we need mishpat. You know why? Because organizations and institutions outlast individuals. So we got to make sure that the Bible says this. We got to do some mishpat over here. We got to make sure that the organization is about equality and justice for all. That's what the Bible's calling us to. You can't say, hey, I meditate on God's word. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just interested in Zedekiah over here. No, you got to do some mishpat over here. You got to do this. You got to stir the pot, mishpat. You got to do this over here. We're going to be concerned about both. That's what it means to be righteous. Matter of fact, in the Bible, sometimes you see the word justice. Sometimes you see the word righteous. It's the same. It's the same thing. They both mean justice. How am I going to be right with God and others? This is what the Bible is calling us to. Love God, love your neighbor. When Jesus said we should love God famously, love God and love your neighbor, he didn't say here's commandment one, here's commandment two. That's not the way Jewish thought works. He's saying here's commandment one and here's commandment one. They are both the same. If I'm not right with my neighbor, I can't be right with God. That's just the way it works. That's what Isaiah 1 is talking about. That's what Peter talks about. It says when you mistreat and you treat, you, you treat your wife in an abusive way, don't bother praying, husbands. Same thing. This is what it's being said. Here's what justice means. Here is what righteousness means. Now, I want to thank everybody. You've sent questions. Most of them have been statements. All right. I, first of all, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to the many of you who have written very encouraging texts emails or have called me. I thank you for your prayers and your encouragement. But we have a variety of perspectives. This is a good thing. I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm getting ready to say was I give these perspectives that, you know, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. No, 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 no. (laughs) This is great. This means that our community has different perspectives. And that is helpful. That is healthy. We need different perspectives, but we need those perspectives to come together in Jesus's perspective. So this is very healthy. I've had people say to me or write to me or make statements to me, why haven't you said anything about racism? Why haven't you said anything about police brutality? I've had people say, why do you nonstop talk about racism? Why are you nonstop talking about the police and how they need to be reformed? Number one question I received though is this. A number of people, a lot of people have written me about this. Some people as a statement, I'm going to read it as a statement, and other people as a question. Hey, I really want to know. I think it's a great question. I've thought it many times myself. Because I'm a Western Christian, because I was born and raised in the United States of America, it is my perspective too. But the Bible gives me a different perspective. Okay? So here, here it is. 
I, I'll read it as a statement, but it came in many by many of you as questions. I will not apologize to anyone I have not personally offended. The Bible says, I will not be judged for the sins of my fathers. These things happened centuries ago. We need to move on. I'm not responsible for that. And then, has Grace Community Church, by when, you know, a few weeks ago I said, we got to name it, we got to own it so we can remove it. Has Grace Community Church, because the Bible says we're not held accountable for the sins of our father, has Grace Community Church decided to walk away from its belief in the Bible? Aha, that's a good one. That's a good one. I want to come back to that one all the way at the end. But first, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us to step through what it means to be a difference maker. It means as somebody who's a major league meditator on the Bible, that's what history shows us, and we all want to be difference makers. Scholars say that Jesus Christ is the ultimate meditation of the Bible. John, Gospel of John says, Jesus Christ is the word, and the word became flesh. So now what we get is we get the word walking around among us. He's the truest reflection of what the word is. He's the truest meditation, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the ultimate meditation on the word. What does Jesus show me? What does Jesus tell me as I meditate on him? And what as I meditate on the scriptures, which is Jesus, he is the word. What are the big things that I learn? I wanna give you five really important things that we see. Jesus, the ultimate meditation of the word. First of all, Jesus is diverse. Number one, Jesus Christ is diverse. I want you all to think about this for just a second. The Bible does very little to describe heaven to us. Very, very little. Why? Why do we get such a little bit in the Bible about what heaven is like? And in that little bit, the Bible takes the time to tell us one really important thing. Revelation chapter 7 Every nation is there in heaven, a great multitude, every nation, every language, every color, every culture is there in heaven. Why does it take the time to do that? Because Jesus is diverse. And if I'm a major league meditator on God's word, I am seeking diversity, which means I'm seeking a diversity in perspective. Acts chapter 2. Very important chapter in the Bible. Holy Spirit's poured out. Everybody's been waiting for the Spirit to be poured out. It had been prophesied that the Holy Spirit be poured out. And now here it comes. The Holy Spirit whoosh is poured out. And they begin to speak in different languages. Languages in the scripture means diversity of culture. And so what happens? The barrier between culture is torn down. So in that incredible moment, what God chooses, what the Holy Spirit chooses to do, in that incredible moment that everybody's been waiting on first order of business, we're going to tear down cultural barriers. Why? Because Jesus is diverse. If you're a major league meditator on the word of God, you are seeking a diversity of perspective. You are seeking out. What do we tend to do? We run to our comfortable corners. You know why? Because it's just easier that way. Everybody know. I've said this so many times, okay? So let me not say everybody knows this. I have said this many times. The movement of Jesus Christ, this is, this is a factual truth. The movement of Jesus Christ is the most diverse movement on the face of the earth. Plain and simple. That's all there is to it. Why? Because Jesus is diverse. That makes sense. However, even though we're incredibly diverse, we tend to be incredibly segregated. So you got this diverse section over here, this diverse section over here, this diverse section over here, and this diverse section over here. You lean left in politics, you lean right, you're black, you're white, Asian, Latino, we tend to separate. Why? Because it's just easier. People say this is still true. 11 o'clock Sunday morning, most segregated hour in the United States of America. Why? We all are inspired by Jesus. Jesus speaks to all of us, but Jesus ought to challenge all of us too. 
And Jesus challenges us by other people, by other perspectives, by other people who have also been inspired by Jesus Christ. And so what we do, instead of seeking that out, because diversity in unity, John 17, diversity in unity brings glory to God, we can't be the difference makers God's calling us to be when we decide to segregate. Everybody goes to their comfortable corners just because it's easier to do. We seek out places. We seek out our twins. We have to seek out our opposites, not our twins, Difference makers, major league meditators on the Bible don't seek out just their twins. Of course, you need your twins sometimes. It's good just to relax and be around somebody and not be challenged all the time. But my goodness, you're not going to be a difference maker by doing that. You're not going to be somebody who's meditating on God's word by doing that because people who meditate on God's word knows that Jesus is about diversity, so they seek it out. They actually go and say, what is your perspective? I know it's so different from mine, and it's going to be so challenging, but you know what? The righteous, the Bible, we're told, are as bold as lions. You're brave, you're strong, you're courageous, and say, oh, I want to hear it. I want to listen. I want to listen to understand, not listen to respond. While you're speaking your different perspective, all I'm doing is getting my argument together, how I can just challenge you down, right? Instead, I have two ears, one mouth, and as James, the brother of Jesus Christ, says, I am quick to listen. I'm slow to speak and slow to become angry. I'm a meditator on God's word. I am a difference maker. I'm not a noisemaker. Noisemakers are quick to speak. They're slow to listen. They're quick to become angry. I don't want to be a noisemaker because it brings no satisfaction to me whatsoever. I want to be a difference maker rooted and grounded in God's word. And Jesus is about diversity. Think about this for a second. Adam's in the garden. He's in paradise. Things are perfect. God's with him. He's got everything he needs. God's with him. And God says, this isn't good. How can that not be good? First negative statement issued in the entire Bible, issued by God. God says it's not good. How can this not be good? Because Adam only has his perspective. He needs someone similar but different. He needs someone similar but diverse. He needs Eve. He needs a different perspective. Anybody married out there? Does your spouse have a different perspective? He needs a different perspective. He needs a diversity of perspective. Some people will say God created Eve so he could have the correct perspective. I don't want to go there right now. Okay? Diversity, are you seeking out? If you're a major league meditator on God's word, you are seeking, seeking, seeking a diversity of perspective to listen to understand, not listen to respond. Now, I listen to the two Tonys. I listen to Tony Dungy and I listen to Tony Evans. Tony Dungy, uh, coach in the NFL, played in the NFL, coached in the NFL, won a Super Bowl. I think he gave the greatest Super Bowl acceptance speech I've ever heard in my life. And I read his tweets. We've read his books. I think it's, I think it's really, really important. And Tony Dungy said something recently. He was talking about the fact, basically, he was saying the same thing that Tony Evans was saying. Tony Evans says this, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. It goes all the way to our hearts. We need Jesus Christ to get into our hearts and change that. And, and Tony Dungy was, was basically saying the same thing. And then somebody tweeted him back, you know, and said, quit talking about religion. Jesus isn't the answer. We need education. And Tony Dungy said, yeah, look how much education has got us. Now, everybody, this, this is, here's the truth. Germany was the most educated, sophisticated society on the face of the planet. And yet the Holocaust happened. 
So I love education. It's really, really important. And we need to study history. But we have more than a skin problem. We have a sin problem. Now, I want to go to Tony Evans. Tony Evans is considered America's pastor. That's his title. Uh, Tony Evans is a pastor in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Grew up in Baltimore. He's black. He's probably about 70 years old. He wrote a book called Oneness Embraced. Now, you can get the book Oneness Embraced, or you can go on YouTube because he had different clips from it. It is excellent. When we did a racial reconciliation series in 2017, I leaned heavily on Tony Evans. And I watched him recently. He said this, and we've heard this. We've heard this refrain a lot. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. That's right. That's very biblical. If there isn't justice, the Bible talks so much about justice. If we're not pursuing justice, Isaiah chapter one, if we're not pursuing it, the book of Psalms, if we're not pursuing it, there won't be peace. We got to have it. But he said, you know, there's another perspective. Again, another perspective. He said, if there isn't forgiveness, there won't be peace. And so as a black pastor, as a black man who suffered a lot of racism in his own life, he says, no justice, no peace, no forgiveness, no peace. Those two perspectives need to be talked about. We can't just talk about one perspective. People say this to me. You know what? We need to talk about systemic racism and police brutality and white privilege. That's one perspective. Other people come from another perspective and say, you know what? We need to talk about the epidemic of fatherlessness in the black community, which has a direct connection to crime and incarceration. Two different perspectives. I want to talk about my perspective. I want to talk about my perspective. God says we need to talk about both perspectives because Jesus is diverse. There's a diversity of perspective. Now, that leads us to the second thing that we learn as we meditate on God's word. Jesus is uncomfortable. When you have a diversity of perspectives, it is uncomfortable. It's easier to retreat to your twins and your comfortable corners. That's where the noisemakers are. You want to be where the difference makers are. And they're in diversity and they're going to be uncomfortable. Jesus discomforts the comfortable. A diversity of perspectives makes us uncomfortable. Now, all the experts say this. If you read about racial reconciliation... What you'll hear is that you need to listen, you need to learn, and you need to understand. You need to create bridges. You need to come together. And so we talk about that, and then we all run back to our polarized, comfortable corners with all of our twins. We have to get away from that. Why would we run back? Because it's uncomfortable right here to listen to the different perspectives. I want to ask that you would reject that. I want to ask, I I hear this all the time from other pastors as well. Well, so-and-so left my church because they didn't like what I had to say. Everybody, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You need to attend a church that makes you uncomfortable sometimes. Of course, it ought to be comforting sometimes. Of course it should be. But if you walk out of the church like you walk out of the gym and you just feel comfortable in your gym and you feel comfortable in your church, then you're not making a difference. You're not being challenged and you're not moving forward. I make myself uncomfortable because God's word makes me uncomfortable. And I sure hope that some of this challenges you and makes you uncomfortable. I hope it like needles you a little bit because that's the only way we're going to be difference makers, everybody. It's not going to happen any other way. If you just seek a church or a community or a corner where everything is just nothing but comfort to you, 
You're not going to be a change maker, and that means you'll never be satisfied. And according to Dr. Duffy, it means you might be filled with anxiety and depression. We need to be difference makers, so seek discomfort. People who are major league meditators on God's word, seek out discomfort. I want to encourage you and implore you to do the same. Because the experts say it and the Bible says it, so let's actually do it. Let's not segregate. Let's come together and all the discomfort. Now, let's talk about being change makers. I got something right here, okay? I have a weight. I picked up one light enough that I can actually pick up, all right? Now, how do I grow my muscles? How do I make a difference in my muscles? How do I transform muscles? You know what? I don't get more muscles. When I work out, I don't get more muscles. I stretch, pull, and strain, and seriously put in an uncomfortable place the muscles I have, and then they change, they transform, and I see a difference. My muscles don't grow because they feel good. They grow because they're uncomfortable. Now listen, you can either feel good or you can make a difference, but you can't do both. You cannot do both. You can either feel good or you can make a difference, but you can't do both. And all of us want to be difference makers, which means that we have to feel uncomfortable, at least some of the time, challenged. We are challenged. As the trainer says at my gym, nothing good comes from comfort. Jesus challenges us. If we are following a God, Jesus, that does nothing but comfort us all the time, you have got the wrong God. Because that would mean you're God. You have created a God in your image. All of us need to be challenged. All of us need to feel uncomfortable from time to time. Now, we talk about this. We celebrate this team of rivals. Abraham Lincoln put a team of rivals around him. Colin Powell, the clash of ideas. He put people around him who different perspectives who had a clash of ideas. And we say team of rivals, clash of ideas, everything gets better. Because you bring all these perspectives. And say like, yeah, that works. You need it in business. You need it in government. You need it in your own life. A variety of perspectives actually makes the whole better. Is it excruciating? <laughs> Is it uncomfortable? Do you make you feel like you're sweating, like you're lifting weights, like you're getting for absolutely, but you're better, but you're better. So we celebrate that, but then we run back to our comfortable corners. Don't do that. Seek your opposite. Don't seek your twin. Get out of your comfortable corners with all of the noisemakers and come to the difference makers. Come out where the difference makers are and make a difference. We celebrate. Now, here's what Desmond Tutu says. Very interesting statement. If you want peace, you don't talk to your friends. You talk to your enemies. Now, Jesus takes that a step further, doesn't he? He doesn't say just talk to your enemies. He says, pray for your enemies. Now, how in the world are you and I going to pray for our enemies unless we know our enemies, unless we spent time with our enemies, unless we said, how can I pray for you? I'd like, and not in a condescending way, but how can I pray for you? How are we going to pray for our enemies like Jesus tells us to do? Because I'm a major league meditator on the word of God. And Jesus, the ultimate expression, the meditation of God's word. How am I going to pray for my enemies unless I invite my enemies into my home? Unless I invite people who are very diverse from me. They're diverse in political leaning. They're diverse in color and culture. They are diverse in sexual orientation. How am I going to do that? How am I going to pray for people who have a diverse perspective from me unless I bring them into my life and I say, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? I want to talk about tolerance for a second because it's, it's, it's famous. We say, oh, we just need to tolerate people. I want to say this right now. The Bible is against tolerance. Tolerance is no good. Bible's not calling you to be tolerant of other people. Hey, 
you know what? You vote different than me. I'd like you to come over to my house and have dinner so I can tolerate you for an evening. Hey, you know what? Your orientation is different than mine. I'd like you to come over to my house so I can tolerate you. Is that good? No, no, no. No, no, no. What are we supposed to be famous for? Love. That's a much higher bar than tolerance. That's a glorious bar. Tolerance, that's really low. Love. Love people who are diverse from you. Love them, know them so much that you say, I know what I'm praying for for people who are different from me. Do you have close friends who are so diverse from you? Do you have people around you who are so diverse for you that you would consider, we're very separate. We're almost, we're enemies. But I'm praying for them because I know them. Because they've been in my home. Difference makers seek out their opposites, not just their twins. Noisemakers hang out with their twins all the time. The third thing that I see as we meditate on God's word is Jesus is a restorer. He is a restorer. There's something in the Bible called the year of Jubilee. Jubilee. It is when the debts get wiped out. It's when people who are indentured servants, they're set free. It's a freedom year. It's a time of freedom. So this past Friday, June 19th, Juneteenth, it's a celebration of freedom in the black community. You know what it's also known as? Jubilee Day, because it started in the church. Thank goodness, thank God, yes. Jesus is about setting people free. And anybody who's a major league meditator on the word of God, anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ needs to be so fired up and excited about freedom because Jesus says, I have come to set captives free. I've come to bring justice. I've come to open people's eyes. What does that mean? Seeing his perspective, which covers all perspectives. Jubilee, Juneteenth, big day, June 19th. We celebrated just this past Friday. It was a movement of the church of Christ, of his followers. It is known as Jubilee Day. Now, the goal of Christianity, everybody, is not escapism. I grew up with a goal of Christianity that I should escape from this earth and get to heaven. That's the whole goal. If you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? I have been robbed of a perspective about the Bible that has robbed me from Psalm 1 and has robbed me from true and deep satisfaction, and that is to be a difference maker. Because I thought my goal was just to get the heck out of here. Escapism, that is not the goal of the Bible at all. Why, why, why have we been robbed of that perspective? The greatest scholars who knew Greek and Hebrew and language in the 1900s were in Germany. What was happening in Germany in the 1900s? Correct. Anti-Semitism, to be against the Jewish people, not interested in the Jewish perspective. Here's the problem with that. I can't correctly understand Jewish Jesus and the Jewish scriptures without understanding a Jewish perspective. Racism has kept me from living a difference-making life. So I dug down. I realized this 15-some years ago, and I began digging, digging, digging down in the meditation of God's word to understand the context in which the Bible was written, which is a Jewish context. Now, I've said this many times. I want to encourage you again. Get the book. My group loved the book. My group said to me, why did you get us this book sooner? How come we haven't read this before? Rabbi Evan Moffick. 
what every Christian needs to know about the Jewishness of Jesus. We need to dig into the Jewish uh, scriptures and understanding and perspective because that's where true understanding is going to come from because that's the context it was written in. If you're not doing that, how can you truly be meditating on God's word? we got to understand that perspective. We've got to know it. And what robbed me of it was racism. Now, as I said a minute ago, I grew up with the goal of Christianity is escapism. I grew up with, if you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? Well, that's not what the Jewish scriptures is asking. The question is this. If you die tonight, will you have made a difference? That's the question. Because God is a restorer. God is a restorer. He renews. He transforms. He makes a difference. The goal is the restoration of all the earth. At the end of the Bible, it says heaven is coming down to a restored and a renewed. God's not giving up on his plan. He's not giving up on you. He's not giving up on all his creation. Matter of fact, according to Genesis, he has bound himself. He has bound himself with an oath that he will never go back on, that he is committed to his creation and he will never, ever, ever give up. So therefore, my goal is not to get out of here. Because this is here is always going to be here. He's going to restore it. He's going to renew it. So the question is this. When I die, will I have made a difference? Because that's what he wants me to do. He wants me to be a difference maker. He doesn't want me to focus on scaring people into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't scare sinners. Jesus served sinners for restoration purposes. But we've been robbed of that. In large part because of racism. We need to understand a Jewish perspective of the scriptures and what is happening. Last thing, police reform. I've received some comments. Different perspectives. John, why aren't you saying anything about police reform? And then over here on the other side, hey, John, why are you always talking about police, police reform? And why are you slamming the police? Two radically different perspectives. Here, here's, here's what I know. The police need to be reformed. That's not a political statement. That's a Bible statement. You know why? Because the Bible tells me I need to be reformed. Matter of fact, we went through something in church history called the Great Reformation. That the Bible is a restoration document, proclamation, call that Jesus Christ is the renewer and restorer of all things. My life needs to be restored. Some people call it a revival. Some people call it a spiritual awakening. I just realized that I constantly need to be restored. If I approach like, well, I was restored once. I don't need to be restored again. I don't need to be transformed again. Then I'm not meditating on God's word. My marriage needs to be restored constantly. Grace Community Church constantly needs Reformation. We're not God. We are made up of human beings who need constant renewal by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, of course, the police, like Apple Computer and Home Depot, need restoration and read renewal. As far as I know, and I'm not a news junkie, everything I've heard said by police officers is 100% so far have all said what took place in Minnesota was horrific and was terrible, and they all condemned it. Everything needs to be restored. Jesus Christ is restore. Seek. If you're a major league meditator on God's word, then you're seeking diversity. You're not scared of it. You're not running away from it. You're, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Joshua, be strong and courageous. You're seeking diversity. You're not running from it to your comfortable corner. You're seeking it out. You've come to the middle where the difference makers are and you've left the corner where the noise makers are. You've come, you seek, you're seeking diversity. You're seeking discomfort because Jesus Christ makes a lot of people uncomfortable, right? You're seeking restoration. 
when I die, will I have made a difference of God's beautiful creation because he's bound himself eternally to it. Fourth thing, Jesus comes down. Jesus comes down. By sheer numbers in the United States of America, there are more white people, which means that there's more influence. There's just this, That's not an evil thing. We don't need to feel guilty or sinful for that. We just, we just need to understand a certain reality. There's, there's power there. There's, there's power in numbers. So what do we do with that power? That's the big question. What do we do with our influence? What, what, what did Jesus do? When we read in the scriptures, really clear. Jesus came down. Jesus didn't look down and look down and say, you guys need to change or you guys need to figure out a way to crawl up here. Jesus didn't look down and say, well, y'all need to get over your problems. Jesus up on top of the mountain, and mountains and scriptures represent power. He didn't look down. He came down. It's called the incarnation. Here's what's so beautiful, please. I just, I, I just continue to be just, God's word is so amazing, everybody. It has the answer. I know there's some parts we get confused about, but oh my gosh, all the experts will tell you this. What do you need? You need to go and walk in somebody else's shoes. You need to get into their skin. You need to understand their experience. That's the bridge. That's what needs to happen. That's what changes everything. And then here we have Jesus. And we argue about the miracle of incarnation. It could it happen. And we miss the point. We miss the point that it changes everything. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't it magnificent that Jesus Christ speaks to the exact thing, the exact thing that all of us long for, transformation? He didn't look down. He came down. So if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I meditate on his word, what am I going to do? I need to come down to. I need to experience what other people are experiencing. We can't look at the black community Right? Speaking as a white person, as a white pastor in a country that the majority is white, again, don't feel guilty, don't feel nervous, just follow Jesus and be a difference maker. We can't say, you just need to get over it because Jesus didn't say, you just need to get over it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't look down. He comes down. I want you to think about this. When you get cut off in traffic, you get ticked. You experience a little bit of road rage because somebody cut you off. And if you have a big enough road rage moment, when you pass by that spot again, something triggers that. Like, yeah, I got ticked off the other. I can't believe that person did it. You can maybe even think about it right now. Somewhere maybe you screamed a nasty name at somebody because they cut you off or shook a fist, right? Because those are moments. What if somebody cut off your foot or cut off your hand or stole your wife? Or stole your child. How, how quickly do you think you would get over that? John, that happened hundreds of years ago. Yeah, but a lot of stuff happened for hundreds of years. Horrific things. People whose dignity was stripped away. People were treated like animals. There's a lot of stuff that went on. We don't get over it. And then we have these emotional triggers. They set us off. Listen, I said this. My uh, father-in-law, Big Russ, Played a big role here at Grace Community Church for so many years. So many people knew him. Actually, people, people, Russ was more famous at Grace than, than me. He passed away three years ago. Now, a couple weeks ago, my mother-in-law passed away. 
My aunt and my uncle so graciously allowed us to get out of town because my mother-in-law was living here in the house and Krista just needed to, she just needed to get away for a couple of days. She just needed to get away for a week. And my uncle and aunt so graciously allowed us to go to their home. That was great. Here's what happened. We walked in the door and the first thing that Krista said is, oh my goodness, she hadn't thought about it, I don't think, to that moment. The last time I was here, both of my parents were alive and we had a wonderful time here together and it set off an emotional trigger. Now look, there was a lot of good memories, but there's the sadness that they're not here. There's a lot of good memories and she spent a better part of the day just crying because of the emotional trigger. And here's the deal, hundreds of years, Hundreds of years of tremendous emotional suffering, pain, deep, deep, deep wounds, terrible injustice, the kind of injustice that makes God seethe with anger, the kind of injustice God says, don't bother praying. Hundreds of years of that. And now we have these events, these events, these events, these events. They're all emotional triggers. They set us off. They set wounds off. Don't look down. Come down. When you check on your black friends. All right, if you're a major league meditator on God's word, of course you're diverse. Of course you're seeking a diversity perspective. Of course you're getting uncomfortable. Of course you're getting, of course you're seeking other people. So if you're white, you have black friends and you have close black friends and you've been checking on them if you're a major league meditator on God's word because that's what we do. How are they doing? Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. All my friends that I've checked on are exhausted. Many are scared, depressed, hopeless. God's word, when I meditate on it, tells me when one part of the body suffers, all parts suffer. God's word tells me when I meditate on it that when others mourn, I should mourn with them. That I should be concerned. It's not their problem. It's my problem. I don't look down, I come down. And I experience that. That's what God's word tells me to do. Am I, am I doing it? Now, everybody here, here's the thing. Statistically, it is very true that we have come leaps and bounds better. It's true. Many people have said that to me. I hear that all the time. Oh man, things have changed so much. It's it's way back in the past. Man, we've come so, such a, such a far away. Statistically, you are right. That is true. There's no denying it. Everybody would have to say we have come leaps and bounds better. That is a statistical truth. But emotionally, it's very untrue. Emotionally, it's very, very untrue. Because there were hundreds of years of tremendous systemic racism, hurt and pain, injustice, indignity, terrible, terrible, terrible things. And then When you have these events after events after events, they're emotional triggers. Same thing would happen to you. You'd react the exact same way. You'd get hurt. You'd feel hopeless. Now, I was thinking about this, you know, as I've talked to my friends, they've all said, hey, my dad had to give me the talk about about driving. The only talk that I had with my son was about the birds and the bees. That was the talk. I never once thought about giving him the talk if you were pulled over. I've got to listen to that. Some of us, some of you are getting really upset right now. Some of you, your blood pressure is rising. That's good. Press in there. God wants you to press in. Jesus is diverse. There's a diversity of perspective. It makes us, it makes us uncomfortable. Jesus Christ 
comes down. He doesn't look down. He walks and he experiences. Are you walking and experiencing what other people are experiencing? Now, I know this has been a long sermon. I know that. I'm very sorry. I'm coming to the biggest question now, though, and it's a really, really important one. So that question was this. I am not going to apologize to anybody that I have not personally offended. These things happened hundreds of years ago. The Bible says that I'm not held accountable for the sins of my father. And therefore, to name racism and to own it and to claim it, and as I said, name it, because when you name something in the Bible, you own it. And once you own it, now you can do something with it. You can remove it. You can get rid of Jesus in the legion of demons. What's your name? Legion. Okay, legion. Now I own you. Now I'm going to get rid of you. Remove you. We got to get rid of this demon called racism. That's why I named it. That's why I named it. So some people say, well, hey, man, that had nothing to do with me. Everybody, Christianity 101. This is Bible basics. This is as basic as it comes, okay? Here we go. Leviticus 26. This is what it says. Speaking to the Israelites, if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, How are they going to get right with God? How are they going to remove the problems in their land? How are they going to find peace? By confessing their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And we see this through many of the great leaders and key figures in the Bible. We see them, Daniel, identifying with, he didn't commit the sins. He said, God forgive us. God forgive us? You mean God forgive them? No, no. God forgive us. So the idea in Jewish scripture is there's a corporate nature of sin, which in Western Christianity is very foreign to us because we're very individualistic. But it isn't our perspective. It's the Jewish perspective. That's how you have to interpret the scriptures, and that's corporate sin. It's corporate sin. Here's basic as Christianity gets, Romans chapter 5. Ready? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. There you go. You weren't in the garden. You weren't there with Adam and Eve. You weren't eating that fruit. But it says sin entered the world. David says we're born in sin because of this. Because of this. You're being held culpable for something you did not do. What's going on here? Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Here's the bad, it's the bad news. And in this way, death came to all people. All people held accountable for something happened in the garden that you were never there. Because all sinned. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace, here's the good news, came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. So we're suffering the results of one person's sin, but we also get to experience the forgiveness and the deliverance from Jesus Christ, one person, God Almighty, who's come down. I want to read something else to you. It's really important. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 21. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's your ministry. That's my ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a meditator on God's word, you got to be so pumped up and excited because God has put a mantle of ministry on you. Are you excited about your ministry of reconciliation? Are you pursuing it? Are you praying about it? Are you psyched up about it? Are you willing to come out of a comfortable corner with twins to, to, to the center with your opposites where the difference makers are to make a difference in the ministry of reconciliation? If you're a major league meditator on God's word, that's what you're doing because that's what all the difference makers throughout history have done. That's their common denominators, the meditation on God's word. One last thing, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what if Jesus Christ, what if Jesus Christ said, don't blame me for their sin? So the fifth and final thing that we see is that Jesus owns our sin. He owns it. So what do we do? He shows us the path to being difference makers. Name it, name it. Because when you name something scripture, you own it. And once you own it, you can remove it. Isn't that awesome? We have suffered long enough. Seek diversity. Seek out being uncomfortable because God makes you uncomfortable. The goal is restoration, not escape. Jesus comes down. And then finally, you name it, you own it, and you remove it. We're in a dark time, but we're an exciting time. We're at a tipping point. Hopefully, at this moment where we can see God come down because we name something and we own it and we remove it and we're meditators on God's word and we can make a difference, not just make a noise. Now, listen, we're going to close with this. Nisa is going to sing a song about take me to the king. Yes, awesome because the king has the answers and that's where we want to go. And then my brother Timmy is going to pray. Timmy from the prayer team is going to pray for us. And then I'm going to come back very briefly and I want to share with you a plan, a strategic intentional plan that we have to move the needle forward on this issue of justice. Good morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Father, I thank you because you always hear me. Father, we glorify your name. Today we come before you, asking you to gather us together in your presence, that in this defining moment in our nation, that you will bring us together, inspire us, and grant us the power to stay together and to do your will. Father, in the book of Ezekiah, you asked who shall stand in the gap. Today we answer, we shall. You asked in the book of Isaiah, whom shall you send? Father, send us. And so to this, I decree and declare in the name of Jesus that your spirit will rest upon us. Your spirit of wisdom and knowledge will rest upon us. Your spirit of counsel and might will rest upon us. Your spirit of knowledge and of the fear of God will rest upon us. Thank you, Father. Now, Father, I bring you in remembrance of your word that says that when the enemy comes against us like a raging flood, that you, the Lord our God, will raise a standard for us with your spirit. Father, thank you for your divine protection over us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Timmy, for that powerful prayer. And thank you, Nisa, for that very important song. Now, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We want to come up with a strategic and intentional plan to make a difference. Not to be noisemakers, to be difference makers. Not to do something for the short term, but to do something for the long term. So the staff, the Grace staff, has begun our own study as a staff together on racial reconciliation. And we want to, in a short amount of time, there's a button there in the chat. I encourage you to click that button. We want to start groups soon. We want to prepare to start groups. And there must, must, must be a diversity in leadership of the group. So we're going to need a diverse group of people, 
a diverse amount of perspective to lead these groups. So we need leaders. We need people to step up and say, we're going to lead these groups. Now, this is just the start of the plan. We have other things planned, but we just want to hear step number one that we want to do. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of this, to come out and to be difference makers and to click that button and to sign up, either sign up for a group or if you're willing to lead a group, to help lead, because we're going to have co-leaders, a diversity in leadership, then do that because we're going we're gonna to need your help. All right, that's enough for today. I want to end with this, grace in five. If you're new to grace or you've never been through grace in five, I want to explain something real quick about Grace Community Church. We're a church for people who don't go to church. Now, right there, right there in that statement means we're a diverse church. We are seeking the diversity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our example of that, the ultimate meditation of God's word. He was surrounded by very religious people and by very irreligious people, and he brought them together, and it was a dynamic, growing environment change-making environment. That's what we seek to do. Some people hear that statement and say, oh, you're just a church for people who've never been to church before. I'm a church person. I'm not any part of that. Oh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. Because Jesus Christ, our example, the first, the genuine, the starter of the church for people who go to church, he brought different groups together and it was an amazing environment. That's what we seek to do. Two different perspectives. Oh my goodness, I hope, Lord, that we would always be a church that has a significant number of people who have never, ever, ever been to church before because that creates perspective. That keeps us on track. That helps us to fulfill the Great Commission. Grace is a place for people to explore faith in Jesus Christ, and it is a place for people who are his followers to live out his great mission. We do not want to be a church for church people. We want to be a church for church people and people who have never been to church before. Now, we do three things, and they're the only three things we do. I only have time to talk to you about one, but I'll give you all three. Christ, we want to study Jesus Christ. Number two, compassion. That means service, serving in the church, serving outside the church, making a difference in our community, making a difference in the world, and community. Now, Jesus Christ is the catalyst for all that. When it comes to community, you think about how Jesus inspires me to have higher quality relationships. It's clear. It's clear. If I follow the ways of Jesus Christ, my relationships will improve. Jesus Christ is the catalyst for serving because he said, I came to serve, not be served. Remember, he came down. And Jesus Christ has come to improve my relationships if I follow his word, will, and his ways. This is what we do. We focus on Jesus because he's the catalyst. And anytime the church throughout church history has focused on who Jesus Christ is in his context and sought to apply his teachings and his ways through the power of his spirit that transforms our heart. Remember, like Dr. Evans says, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. That his spirit gets inside of me and transforms my heart. Great stuff happens. And we want to be a part of that because we want to be difference makers, not just noise makers. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope that you will join us again next week because this train is going somewhere.